men and women who believe your gospel, who would leave what they know and what they have to go and serve a people who are very similar to what we see here in the chapter today who have been blinded by the little g-god of this world. Unable to see, unable to look to Christ for life, and KJ is there to proclaim that they may see the very glory of God in the face of Jesus and believe. God, I pray you would use them, that you would multiply your people and build your kingdom there in Yorkshire. We lift them up today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We've got a lot to cover today. So I want to ask you, if you would, to open up your worship guide, and there is a outline there for you. And we're just going to jump right in. This is fun today. I couldn't be more excited. I've preached to walls. I've, I've preached to people. I've preached to anything that would listen to me the last few days being ready for this morning. So let's get going. We, we want to see, once again, this highlighted commissioning that we have been given by God to be proclaimers of his glory. And I need everybody in the room today, everybody in the house today to understand that that means that we are to make much of Jesus Christ in all that we say and all that we do, that we are to proclaim how great Christ is, who he is, what he's done, why he matters. And when people see him in the words that we speak and when they see him in the lives that we live, the blinder will be removed and they will be able to see the light of Christ and believe. That's what we're called to do is to proclaim Christ. But when we begin to think about this calling, we see how great it is, we see how overwhelming it is, how grand of a task that we have set before us, we can tend uh, to be a little fearful. We can be tempted to give up. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we are going to see that the Lord, through the writing of the Apostle Paul, is going to tell us, do not give up, do not lose heart. And we're going to see some reasons that he gives. And today, if we are able to hear his word, we, as a church, will be encouraged to the ministry that he has for us. So join with me in reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read the, the first seven verses, and, uh, and then we will go to our outline. Chapter 4, verse 1, this is the reading of God's Word. It says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, and that's the ministry of proclaiming God's glory, the ministry of the new covenant, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel, the good news of Jesus, even if it's veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, and you'll notice little uh, lowercase g, that is referring to Satan. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The, the first way that we want to see that we're told not to lose heart. I, I want you to follow along in your outline. Do not give up. Do not lose heart when the task or the ministry before us seems too great. Do not lose heart. Don't flake out when the ministry before us seems too great. When the job feels too big, when the work seems too hard, when we grasp that we are as weak as we truly are, don't lose heart. When no one seems to care about what we proclaim, don't lose heart. When people don't see God's word and God's people as relevant, don't lose heart. When no one, even within the walls of the building that we sit in, oftentimes seem to truly believe, and you see evidence of that, if you're a social media person, you see people's comments constantly, you'll, you'll think people believe, and then they'll make a comment that shows that they're not believing in that moment. When no one seems to believe, don't lose heart. When what is good is proclaimed to be unacceptable and what the Bible proclaims is unacceptable is received by our culture as good. Don't lose heart. When all that we see appears to be brokenness or apathy or just the consequences of sin, don't lose heart. I want to give you an illustration. It's found in Scripture. It's an illustration that we can follow the calling of a man named Moses. Moses was given a great task. If you were following our reading plan that the church is going by last, I believe it was Friday, is that right? Yeah, last Friday we read out of this very chapter. It was Exodus chapter 3. And so if you can hold your place where we are and flip over to Exodus 3, that would be quite helpful for you. If you're okay with marking in your Bible, you might want to get ready to do some underlining or some marking. But we want to see that Moses was given a great task. And Moses, like many of us, when a great task is before us, he grew fearful. He began to make excuses. See, Moses was called by God to do something pretty outlandish. And it was to go into the greatest nation in the world at the time, Egypt, go into that nation, go to the king of Egypt who believed himself to be a God, go to him and say, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to you. And he says, let my people go. See, the Hebrew people were enslaved to the Egyptians. And Moses was just to march in and say, let my people go. Let God's people go. God sent me to you. Let them go so they can worship me. 
in the land that I have given them. That's a pretty big task. Well, Moses felt the weightiness of that, and I want to give you several excuses that he gave, and I believe that you'll find yourself making some of those same excuses when you consider the calling that you've been given to be a proclaimer of God's glory in a world that oftentimes seems as hardened as the Pharaoh was in Egypt. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. Moses, he says to the Lord, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh? What he's saying is, I'm not worthy to accomplish this mission. I'm not worthy for this. And I want you to see what the Lord says to him. Look right there in verse 12. But the Lord said, but I will be what? But I will be with you. But I'm going too, Moses. I'm going too. Moses didn't stop there though. Verse 13 of chapter 3, we see him say, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, Well, what's his name? Who is he? And what he's really saying is this, is I don't know enough about God. I don't know enough about him to proclaim his word. I bet if I could get a show of hands who's felt that. We'd see several come up in the house today. Because many of you, that's your excuse. I don't know enough about the Lord. You know what Moses was told by the Lord? He said, I am who I am. Jennifer giving me the, thank you. Way to go, girl. Let's give her a hand. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, yeah. He says, I am who I am. The, the most probably literal is, I be who I be. That's what he's saying. Tell him that I am sent you. And see, what we see is the Lord gives him all that he needs. See, Moses doesn't know everything about the Lord. That's very true. Neither do you. But he has given us what we need to go to the world with the message that he has. Look with me in chapter 4, verse 1 of Exodus. Then Moses answered, he said, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. What he's saying is this. He's saying, they probably won't believe what I tell them. And what the Lord says, he walks him through and he he says, is that I will work in and through you to give signs to them of my presence and power. I'll establish this work. You just go. Chapter 4, verse 10 is probably my favorite. But Moses said to the Lord, he said, Oh Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. What he's saying is, he says, I don't speak well enough to communicate such a grand message. I'm not good enough at talking. And the Lord says back to him, he says, Who made man's mouth? Some of you need to hear that this morning. Who made your mouth? God did. And he says, church, that what we are to do is use our mouth to proclaim his glory. What glory? The glory of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ. Are we worthy? No. But does he go with us? Yes. Do we know everything we need to know? No. We don't. We don't know everything that we should know. Some of you are just flat out lazy. Like you've got like 12 copies of the Bible, you don't even read it. Let's change that. 
Get a system in place. Read God's word. We're not promoting laziness here. But what we're saying is this. You don't have to know everything about the Lord to go proclaim what he's done for you in Christ Jesus. You may not speak very well. But that's okay. If you need to, just pick this up, flip it open, and read it. Read it to people. Read God's word. Read God's promises to them. God's word is enough. See, what we see from this illustration is an example for us to be encouraged by. We see that God, first of all, he can handle our excuses. So like you throw excuses at him. And go ahead and flip back to 2 Corinthians. You, you throw excuses at him left and right. God is very capable of taking your excuses and comforting you, walking with you patiently helping you to walk with him in the mission that he has called you to do. See, we may feel overwhelmed or that the task is too great, but we need to understand that the Lord will provide everything that we need to accomplish what he's called us to. Now, what we see here in the very beginning of chapter 4 are a couple of things that Paul notes, and we can read into them and see that he's saying, hey, if we're not careful... If we let the task seem too great, if we rely on ourselves and not God, we will be tempted, and follow along in your outline, we will be tempted uh, to believe that God's word and God's spirit is not enough. That's not true. See, what happens when we begin to believe that? Well, one of the things he says, he says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. When you begin to believe that God's word and God's spirit is not enough, you'll begin to mess with, tamper with, try to change up God's word. You'll pick and choose what you tell people. That's not okay. This isn't iPod Christianity. You know, like we don't just pick out what songs we want on iTunes and, and put them on the playlist. Like we, we believe all of God's word. And we'll proclaim all of God's word. We also must understand that we will be tempted to believe that we are the solution in ourselves. That means that we may begin to be crafty because we think that we're so smart. Or we might try to be fun to attract people. We might try to be this because that's what people would want. We need to understand what people need is not for us to try to be cute with what we do. We need to understand that what people need is for us to love them enough to open up God's word and proclaim to them what he says. This does not mean that we do not use our gifts. That does not mean that we do not use our artistic abilities. It does not mean that we do not use craftiness as we link ourselves up to the very power and work of God. But what it means is the answer that people need is not found in us. It is found in Christ in us. It's found in his word. Bottom line is this, is that when the task or the ministry before us seems too great, we must remember that the power comes not from us, but from God. I love verse 7. Many of you are familiar with this verse in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, but we have this treasure. We have this treasure. We have the message of the gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Isn't that beautiful? It's so healthy to see how weak we are. 
It's so healthy to recognize how strong God is. We have a task before us that we are not to lose heart in just because we see how big it is. God and His Spirit, His Word, His Spirit, they're enough for us. The second thing that we see in this ministry, we don't lose heart or we don't give up. When secondly, our circumstances appear overwhelming to us. This is just when things of life, they just seem too hard. Let's read verse 7 through 11, and then we'll apply this to our hearts. Verse 7 through 11 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. What we see here are, these are sufferings or these are circumstances that appear to be primarily from Paul and his team, their faith in Jesus, okay? Primarily. So they have believed the gospel, they're proclaiming the gospel, and therefore they have had, uh, they have had suffering to be placed upon them due to what they have said about Christ. So that's called persecution. That's the primary reason for the suffering here, but I want to highlight a couple of other ways that Paul suffered and that we suffer, and you'll see that in your outline as well. We're going to use the word circumstances, but you can understand that to mean also the sufferings that may come. I mean, when we look at words like we see afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, I mean, that's, that's suffering, okay? And so we have circumstances that arise due to our faith in Jesus, But we also have circumstances or sufferings that arise due to outside influences that are outside of our control, okay? And so don't try to pick apart this this outline when I'm telling you this. I understand that sometimes they overlap. I get that. Don't pick it apart. Just understand I'm saying sometimes you're proclaiming the gospel and people come against you. Persecution. Sometimes you get a phone call and on that phone call, the doctor says you have cancer. Now, you may have done something that it, the cancer could be a consequence, at least in part of that. I, I don't know. But, but what I'm saying is this, is that sickness, uh, you know, we get that phone call from the doctor. We get hit from the side with somebody running a red light. A tornado comes through and destroys your home. You have an alcoholic father who abused you. Whatever that may be, I want you to see that is an outside influence that was outside of your control. But nonetheless, you suffer. Probably the best biblical example would be Job. Okay? So suffering from outside of us. There's also circumstances or sufferings that arise due to your own sin. So like you did something and you're living in the consequences of it and you're suffering. I want you to know that all of these circumstances Paul himself lived through. 
So when we look at here in verses 7 through 11 and we see God's work in him, he was afflicted, but he was not crushed. He was perplexed, but he was not driven to despair. He was persecuted, but not abandoned. He was struck down, and not, but not destroyed. We, we understand that was primarily due to his faith in proclaiming the gospel. But the truth that we find here is, can be applied to all the sufferings that we face when we look to God and grasp hold of his promises. I want you to turn with me, hold your place there, turn over to 2 Corinthians 11. We read this the the first week of our series. We're going to read it again, starting in verse 24, and I'm moving fast. You've got to listen fast. But, But this is what Paul says about some of his afflictions or his suffering. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at uh, sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul suffered. He had some tough circumstances. And he tells us in other places that because of his former life of persecuting the church, that he suffered from what he had done from his past. He even calls himself, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the biggest sinner I know. And he would still oftentimes, especially early on in ministry, he would go somewhere and they'd be like, don't let him come in. He's going to throw us in jail. There were consequences to his former sin. But yet we see him grasp hold of Christ and proclaim him in the life of the Lord Jesus be lifted up in him. And so when our circumstances appear overwhelming, we must remember God's promised power, presence, and grace freely given to us in Christ Jesus. Church, listen to me. This is so exciting. When we read these scriptures and we're able to understand how to look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus and receive life instead of feeling this death, we will be transformed forever. I want you to even consider what he gave us here. He says, I was afflicted uh, in every way, but not crushed. I want you to remember Christ who was afflicted. Christ was afflicted so that when we were afflicted, we would not be crushed. Was he crushed? Yes. But he lives today so that we would never be left alone. Have you ever been perplexed? Why is this happening? Why would this take place? I want you to think of Christ on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever been persecuted? Let me tell you, Christ was persecuted. Have you ever been struck down? Christ was struck down. Even until death. But see, we look to Christ as he is being even killed and we watch him 
graciously pray for those who were killing him. When we are able to see Christ, when we are able to understand his heart, when we are able to, uh, to grasp who he is and what he is doing in that moment as we're reading on the pages, we understand what he is still to do for us, we will be transformed and we will be lifted up in the midst of any circumstance that we're in. See, when our circumstances appear overwhelming, we must remember God's promise, power, presence, and grace freely given to us in Christ Jesus. See, what was happening is Paul's rejoicing in his suffering because he's saying, when people see me afflicted and they see me perplexed and they they, they see me persecuted, they see me struck down, when they see me in this situation and they see basically death is what I'm living in, but they see life coming out in me. When they see my weakness, they see Christ's strength. And they begin to understand and recognize the very gospel of Jesus. So whether we want to believe it or not, oftentimes suffering is the greatest megaphone for the gospel. It's the greatest setting for us to proclaim. See, when we suffer and we rely, it causes us to to lean more on him, to grasp more on his word. And it causes people to see Christ in us. Number three, we're proclaimers of God's glory. We look at this ministry and we say, how do we not lose heart? We don't lose heart as we see God transform lives, including our own, before our eyes. See, he's we have to understand that God is able to use what would be apparent death to bring about life. That's what he does throughout Scripture. You know, what is impossible with man, it's possible with God. The gospel changes the way that we live and we respond to circumstances that we are in and attitudes that we face. It changes the way we respond to any suffering. It changed the way Paul and his team responded here in 2 Corinthians. See... When I understand that I was an enemy of God, I was too weak, I, I was rebellious. When I understand that, and yet God sent his son to die for me, then I begin to understand how I, when somebody wrongs me, I can look to them and forgive them. When I, believe, when I begin to see that, that God gave his son for me, when I believe to see Christ give his life for me, when I begin to see that and I recognize it and I look into it deeper and deeper, I will become a giver myself. I will find it easy to sacrifice for another. When I understand that Christ was abandoned so that I would never be, I will, I will go to those who are alone. I will sacrifice for their good. In chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, we saw that God is the the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. It says, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may comfort those who are in any affliction. So we were comforted by God and our response to his comfort was to comfort someone else. This is gospel transformation. This is God changing our lives right before our eyes when we begin to see him and then respond to him. By faith. 
the example here. Look, look with me at verse 13 through 15, highlighting verse 15. It says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you in his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. I love this. This is about transformation. This is about people, when we receive the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus, when we understand who Christ is and what he's done for us, and we receive it into our life, we receive that free gift, and then we extend grace to others. We begin to see God take away the blinder that Satan has placed upon their minds, and they begin to see and believe. And a heart that was once not thankful and didn't honor God now looks to him and gives thanks. This is about people worshiping and praising God for what he's done. As grace is extended, as we take the gospel, we leave here, we go into the neighborhood, we go to the campus, we go to the world, and we proclaim the gospel, we can expect Expect God to do what he says he'll do, and that is remove the blinders and people see the gospel and give thanks to him for what he's done. That means, church, that as we see God transform lives before our eyes, and, and we do, look, look with me at the, the, the last part there of this. It means that as God's power and presence and grace are extended from us to others, we will see people transformed into worshipers of God and pro- proclaimers of glory themselves. How wonderful is that? Maybe you don't get it. But I remember being a selfish, arrogant young man. 18 years old, caring about myself. I remember being there. I remember seeing Christ. I remember being transformed in a moment as I saw him. And I remember now desiring not to proclaim myself or any weakness that I am, but proclaiming him and his glory. That is because I was transformed from one who looked to myself for life to looking for Christ who is life. It's a change. As we see God transform lives before our eyes, we will not lose heart in being a proclaimer of God's glory. Lastly, we see that as we, uh, we will not lose heart as we take hold of and live in response to our future glory in Christ. For us to live in the midst of any circumstances, we must understand what it is that Christ is doing for us. Look with me, this is one of the most exciting texts in all of Scripture, verse 16 and 17 of chapter 4. Paul says, So we do not lose heart, we do not give up. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're, they're going away, they're fading. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Chapter 5, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwellings. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Church, if you have the Holy Spirit in you today, that is a guarantee that He will do everything that He has said that He will do for you. Everything that we see here, when we grasp what it is that He is finally doing, maybe today you don't see it. Maybe you don't recognize it, but if you are able to get a view into what it is that he is finally to do for you in Christ, it will make any suffering that you face, even what Paul talked about, which by the way, doesn't appear to be light when you're getting stoned, okay? But he said it's a light momentary affliction because he's comparing it to the eternal weight of glory that awaits him. When we get that, It'll change the way that we view going into the neighborhoods, going to our families, going to our job, and proclaiming the very glory of God. Two things and we'll end. This will help change. We'll we'll see that what we believe about our future glory, it has everything to do with how we live in our present circumstances. So what you view, what, what you are able to understand about what Christ is finally doing for you, it will change the way you view how you live tomorrow. It'll change the way that you live today. Make a note to read the prayer in the first chapter of Ephesians. Starting in verse 15. Read that prayer and pray that for yourself in your home this week. Read the prayer that he prays at the end of Ephesians 3. It's a prayer that's asking him for for our eyes to be open that we may see the gospel in a deeper way. Lastly, I want you to see... The more that we look into the good news of Jesus, the more that we're able to see and grasp and understand what we just read, the more that we look into the gospel, the more we will see the relevancy of the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus in every circumstance we face and in any culture that we enter. Why is this important? Because you need to understand That for many of you, you don't know what to say. You don't know how to relate the good news of Jesus to everyday life. And I want you to know that if if you're able to see what Christ is doing right now and what he is finally to do for us uh, when he returns, that we will see that there is no culture, there is no city, there is no country, there is no nation, tongue, tribe. There's no place that we can go. There's no circumstance we can enter that the gospel of Jesus is not the most relevant subject that we have to give them. The gospel of Jesus matters everywhere we go in any circumstance that we face. We must be understanding how to proclaim his glory. So church today, do not lose heart. Cling to the Lord. We are very weak, but he is strong. As he said to Paul, he says to us today, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Let's be a church who looks to this grace, we look to this gospel, we look to this good news that we have, we receive this freedom of how he cares for us and takes care of us and even gives us the words to say, but let's not be lazy with that. Let's be intentional to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus in all the world. Next week, you're going to have an opportunity to go out. We're going to primarily be here in the neighborhood and also on campus, but we are going to go out as a church body next Sunday afternoon at two o'clock. We're going to meet in the cafe and then we're going to go out and we are going to proclaim the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus. I invite you to drop whatever it is that you got going on next Sunday afternoon and come. Come and serve. 
If you feel weak, then you're the right person for the job. God is sufficient. His gospel is the power we need. Stand with me. Kyle, if you will, come. And just begin to 